Welcome to Puritans Read, reading aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 10 of The Letters of Samuel Rutherford. To John Fleming, Bailey of Leith, Aberdeen, 15 March, 1637. Worthy and dearly beloved in the Lord, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. I received your letter. I wish I could satisfy your desires in drawing up and framing for you a Christian directory. But the learned have done it before me, more judiciously than I, especially Mr. Rogers, Greenham, and Perkins. Notwithstanding, I will show you what I would have been at myself, although I came always short of my purpose. Number one, that hours of the day, less or more time, for the word and prayer be given to God, not sparing the twelfth hour or midday, although it should then be a shorter time. Number two, in the midst of worldly employments, There should be some thoughts of sin, judgment, death, and eternity, with a word or two, at least, of ejaculatory prayer to God. Number three, to beware of wandering of heart in private prayers. Number four, not to grudge, although you come from prayer without sense of joy, downcasting, sense of guiltiness, and hunger are often best for us. Number five, that the Lord's day from morning to night be spent always either in private or public worship. Number six, that words be observed, wandering and idle thoughts be avoided, sudden anger and desire of revenge, even of such as persecute the truth, be guarded against. For we often mix our zeal with our own wildfire. Number seven, that known, discovered, and revealed sins that are against the conscience be avoided as most dangerous preparatives to hardness of heart. Number eight, that in dealing with men, Faith and truth in covenants and trafficking be regarded, that we deal with all men in sincerity, that conscience be made of idle and lying words, and that our carriage be such as that they who see it may speak honorably of our sweet master and profession. I have been much challenged. One for not referring all to God as the last end, that I do not eat, drink, sleep, journey, speak, and think for God. Two, that I have not benefited by good company, and that I left not some word of conviction even upon natural and wicked men, as by reproving swearing in them, or because of being a silent witness to their loose carriage, and because I intended not, in all companies, to do good. 3. That the woes and calamities of the Kirk 
and particular professors have not moved me. Four, that in reading the life of David, Paul, and the like, when it humbled me, I, coming so far short of their holiness, labored not to imitate them, afar off at least, according to the measure of God's grace. Five, that unrepented sins of youth were not looked to and lamented for. Six, that sudden stirrings of pride, lust, revenge, love of honors were not resisted and mourned for. Seven, that my charity was cold. Eight, that the experience I had of God's hearing me in this and the other particular being gathered, yet in a new trouble I had always, once at least, my faith to seek, as if I were to begin at A, B, C again. Nine, that I have not more boldly contradicted the enemy speaking against the truth, either in public church meetings, or at tables, or at ordinary conference. Ten, that in great troubles I have received false reports of Christ's love and misbelieved him in his chastening, whereas the event hath said that all was in mercy. Eleven, nothing more moveth me and burdeneth my soul than that I could never in my prosperity so wrestle in prayer with God, nor be so dead to the world, so hungry and sick of love for Christ, so heavenly-minded as when ten stone weight of a heavy cross was upon me. Twelve, that the cross extorted vows of new obedience, which ease hath blown away as chaff before the wind. Thirteen, that practice was so short and narrow and light so long and broad. Fourteen, that death hath not been often meditated upon. Fifteen, that I have not been careful of gaining others to Christ. Sixteen, that my grace and gifts bring forth little or no thankfulness. There are some things also whereby I have been helped, as, one, I have benefited by riding alone a long journey in giving that time to prayer. Two, by abstinence and giving days to God. Three, by praying for others. For by making an errand to God for them, I have gotten something for myself. Four, I have been really confirmed in many particulars that God heareth prayers. And therefore, I used to pray for anything of how little importance soever. Five, he enabled me to make no question that this way, which is mocked and nicknamed, is the only way to heaven. Sir, these and many more occurrences in my life should be looked unto and, number one, 
thoughts of atheism should be watched over as if there be a God in heaven, which will trouble and assault the best at some times. Number two, growth in grace should be cared for above all things and falling from our first love mourned for. Number three, conscience made of praying for the enemies who are blinded. Sir, I thank you most kindly for your care of my brother and me also. I hope it is laid up for you and remembered in heaven. I am still ashamed with Christ's kindness to such a sinner as I am. He hath left a fire in my heart that hell cannot cast water on to quench or extinguish it. Help me to praise and pray for me, for you have a prisoner's blessing and prayers. Remember, my love, to our wife. Grace be with you. To Lady Boyd, Aberdeen, 1 May 1637. Madam, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ be multiplied upon you. I have reasoned with your son at large. I rejoice to see him set his face in the right earth. Now, when the nobles love the sunny side of the gospel best, and are afraid that Christ wants soldiers and shall not be able to do for himself. Madam, our debts of obligation to Christ are not small. The freedom of grace and salvation is the wonder of man and angels. But mercy in our Lord scorneth higher. You are bound to lift Christ on high, who hath given you eyes to discern the devil, now coming out in white, and the idolatry and apostasy of the time, well washed with fair pretenses, but the skin is black and the water foul. It were art, I confess, to wash a black devil and make him white. I am in strange ups and downs, and seven times a day I lose ground. I am put often to swimming, and again my feet are set on the rock that is higher than myself. He hath now let me see four things I never saw before. Number one, the supper must be great cheer that is up in the great hall. For the royal king of glory, when the four hours, the standing drink in this dreary wilderness is so sweet. When he comforteth afar off his poor, heartbroken mourners in Zion, and sendeth me but his hearty commendations till we meet, I am confounded with wonder to think what it shall be when the fairest among the sons of men shall lay a king's sweet soft cheek to the sinful cheeks of poor sinners. O oh, time, time goes swiftly, and hasten that day. Sweet Jesus, Lord Jesus, post, come flying, like a young heart or a roe, upon the mountains of separation. I think we should tell the hours carefully, and look often how low the sun is, 
For love hath no bounds. It is pained, pained in itself, till it come into grips with the party beloved. Number two, I find Christ's absence to be love's sickness and love's death. The wind that bloweth out of the earth where my Lord Jesus reigneth is sweet-smelled, soft, joyful, and heartsome to a soul burnt with absence. It is a painful battle for a soul sick of love to fight with absence and delays. Christ's not yet is astounding of all the joints of the soul. A nod of his head when he is under a mask would be half a pledge. To say, fool, what aileth thee? He is coming, would be life to a dead man. I am often in my dumb Sabbaths seeking a new plea with my Lord Jesus. God forgive me. And I care not if there be not two or three ounce weight of black wrath in my cup. Number three, for the third thing, I have seen my abominable vileness. If I were well known, there would be none in this kingdom ask how I do. Men take my ten to be a hundred. But I am a deeper hypocrite and shallower professor than everyone believeth. God knoweth I feign not. But I think my reckonings on the one page written in great letters and his mercy to such a forlorn and wretched bankrupt on the other. More than a miracle. If I could get my finger ends upon a full assurance, I think I should grip fast. But my cup wanteth not gall, and upon my part, despair might be almost excused if everyone in this land saw my inner side. But I know that I am one of those who have made great sale and a free market to free grace. If I could be saved, as I would fain believe, sure I am that I have given Christ's blood, his free grace, and the bowels of his mercy a large field to work upon. And Christ hath manifested his art, I dare not say to the uttermost, for he can, if he would, forgive all the devils and condemned reprobates in respect of the wideness of his mercy. But, I say to an admirable degree, Number four, I am stricken with fear of unthankfulness. This apostate Kirk hath played the harlot with many lovers. They are spitting in the face of my lovely king and mocking him, and I cannot mend it. And they are running away from Christ in troops, and I cannot mourn and be grieved for it. I think Christ lieth like an old, unused castle, forsaken of the inhabitants. All men run away now from him. Truth, innocent truth, goeth mourning and wringing her hands in sackcloth and ashes. Woe, woe, woe is me for the virgin daughter of Scotland. Woe, woe to the inhabitants of this land, for they are gone back with a perpetual backsliding. These things take me so up that a borrowed bed, another man's fireside, the wind upon my face, I, 
being driven from my lovers and dear acquaintance and my poor flock. Find no room in my sorrow. I have no spare or odd sorrow for these. Only, I think, the sparrows and swallows that build their nests in the kirk of Anwath, blessed birds. Nothing hath given my faith a harder backset till it crack again than my closed mouth. But let me be miserable myself alone. God keep my dear brethren from it, but still I keep breath. And when my royal and never, never enough praised king returneth to his sinful prisoner, I ride upon the high places of Jacob, I divide Shechem, I triumph in his strength. If this kingdom would glorify the Lord in my behalf, I desire to be weighed in God's even balance in this point. If I think not my wages paid to the full, I shall crave no more hire of Christ. Madam, pity me in this and help me to praise him for whatever I be, the chief of sinners, a devil, and a most guilty devil. Yet it is the apple of Christ's eye, his honor and glory as the head of the church that I suffer for now and that I will go to eternity with. I am greatly in love with Mr. M. M. I see him stamped with the image of God. I hope well of your son, my Lord Boyd. Your ladyship and your children have a prisoner's prayers. Grace, grace be with you. My That was episode 10 of The Letters of Samuel Rutherford.